morning. Welcome to Axios Today. It's Thursday, April 15th, and it's not tax day. You have until May 17th to file. I'm Nyla Boodoo. Here's how we're making you smarter today. The fourth wave of COVID is here. Plus, a new way to describe our climate crisis. But first, vaccine passports for work is today's one big thing. As more and more Americans become vaccinated, employers are making the decision to bring their workforce back to the office, but with some extra paperwork. Axios's future correspondent Brian Walsh is with us to talk about vaccine passports at work. Good morning, Brian. Good morning. CEOs are saying they're going to demand employees show proof of vaccination before coming back to the office. How would that work? Well, there are a lot of ways to show that you've been vaccinated. I mean, you obviously get the card when you actually get vaccinated that will show that that's something that's given out to everyone. There are some new digital passes that are being developed. New York State actually is the first state to create something like a digital health certificate that you can actually show on your phone. Other private organizations, other governments are thinking about this as well. So, you know, the opportunity will be there. The question really is, how will all these systems work? How it work in different companies in different states where there are very different attitudes and potentially even laws in the books in terms of what is and isn't required? And how do we do this in a way that is both effective for public health, but also fair for everyone? Is this legal? Can they require this for people? Most likely they can. This is actually still somewhat up in the air. It really depends on what we're talking about when we think about you know where you're working, for instance. So if you can show as a company that there is a real threat to going in there unvaccinated, then most likely, yes, they can require that for workers. We've already seen a company like Salesforce say that any employees coming back to their main office in May will need to show vaccination, but that also leaves the door open for those who haven't been vaccinated or won't get vaccinated to work remotely in some way. But you've also seen different states, different governors saying they will try to block businesses from doing this. Those governors are on somewhat uncertain ground. At the same time, the federal government has basically said, we're not going to mandate anything. We're leaving this up to the states as much as possible. So it's really an open question and one compounded by the fact that you know, not everyone's even had the chance to get vaccinated. So I think once we've actually reached the point where if you're not getting vaccinated, it's because you're choosing not to, or you have some kind of health condition or religious objection that would also have to be recognized. You saying all of this reminds me that there is precedence for this. Universities and schools require this of children. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there are definitely rules in the books when it comes to public health for a lot of those kind of institutions. But you also have to make some allowances for those who have some reason for not being able to get vaccinated. And that's not just, you know, because they're vaccine hesitant. Obviously, some people have health reasons to keep them from getting vaccinated. They might have legitimate religious objections as well. This is where we really get into this problem where we, we have a very unnational system when it comes to both distributing these vaccines, tracking them, tracking our health data. So it's not clear to me at all at this point what any kind of passport system will really look like. And even that term alone is kind of a misnomer. If we're talking about vaccine requirements for traveling internationally, absolutely, those will almost certainly be on the books. We have those already for a lot of other different vaccines. But when we think of it as a, as a sort of certificate you can show to go do things in the real world, including your job, we never really had to do that on that level before, not with this many people. And so that's where those laws and those systems and those attitudes remain to be worked out. Brian Walsh is Axios' future correspondent. Thanks, Brian. Thank you. We'll be back in 15 seconds with the rise in COVID cases across the country. Welcome back to Axios Today. 
There's been much made about trying to avoid a fourth wave in this country, but according to the data, we're already there. Sam Baker is Axios' healthcare editor, here to talk to us about how the U.S. is doing with COVID cases this week. Hi, Sam. Hi, Naila. The past few months, you've come on and shared good news when we look at how the country's doing overall. That's not the case anymore. No, it's really not. Uh, I mean, vaccinations are still good news. They're still going really fast. But even though vaccinations are going fast and furious, cases are on the rise again. They're up about 9% over the past week. When did the trend start to change? It's been going up a little and steadying off and going up a little and steadying off for the past couple of weeks. We haven't seen these big week-over-week skyrocketing numbers that we saw like in December, but we also haven't seen the really consistent improvement that we saw in February. People have been hopeful about the summer being somewhat back to normal. Are there signs that that may not be the case and we're in this for a little bit longer? That'll depend largely on whether you're vaccinated. The vaccines work, and they work against the variants that are driving this increase in cases. So if you and your friends and your family are vaccinated, you should be able to have a relatively normal summer. For the people who aren't going to get the vaccine, they are still at risk. You know, I think the sort of bigger picture risk is the more you fail to contain the coronavirus, the harder you're making life for yourself in the future. Exorcist Healthcare Editor, Sam Baker. Thank you, Sam. Thanks, Nyla. Here are some other stories we're watching today. Kim Potter, the Brooklyn Center police officer who shot and killed Dante Wright, was officially arrested and charged with manslaughter. We've talked about how close Brooklyn Center is to where George Floyd was killed. And it's not just geographic. At a press conference yesterday, Dante Wright's aunt said Floyd's girlfriend had been Wright's high school teacher. A U.S. Capitol Police officer won't be charged for the fatal shooting of Ashley Babbitt. Babbitt was attempting to climb through a set of doors during the assault on the Capitol. And Scientific American just announced they're partnering with 400 media companies to shift from using the phrase climate change to climate emergency. With more on this is Andrew Friedman, Axios' climate and energy reporter. Hey, Andrew. How significant is this change? It is significant in that they are a very old publication. They've been running for a very long time, and they're viewed as a gold standard in the scientific community. Part of what climate crisis, climate emergency, these types of phrases are useful for is trying to get over the psychological barriers that humans have of not really prioritizing challenges that are in the distant future. So, like, a legislator might only prioritize issues that help them in the next two years or four years or whatever their election cycle is. They're not looking at 50 years from now or 100 years from now. And what this initiative is doing is trying to raise the profile of how climate change is already affecting us and how much worse it is slated to be unless we act. Andrew, let's talk about the immediate future for the West Coast and the worsening Western mega drought situation. What do we need to know about that? Yeah, so we need to know that the West didn't get the precipitation they really needed this winter. They didn't get the rain and mountain snow that they needed in California, especially. Last year was a horrific year for wildfires in California and all up and down the West Coast. 
And it looks like they're set up for, unfortunately, a very, very dry entry to the fire season. How are people preparing differently for this this year then? I think states are trying to be more proactive about preparing for it in the way of getting homeowners to remove brush around their home, getting power companies to realize that they need to reinforce their infrastructure and plan for power outages. Some of that stuff, which is pretty severe, cutting hundreds of thousands of people off of electricity, actually seems to have saved a lot of areas that that might have otherwise ignited last year and the year before. Axios' climate and energy reporter, Andrew Freeman. Thank you, Andrew. Thanks for having me. That's it for us today. You can reach your team at podcasts at axios.com or find me on Twitter. Thanks to everyone who's left us starred reviews. And if you have a minute to do so, it makes it easy for other people to find our podcast. I'm Nyla Boodoo. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And we'll see you back here tomorrow morning.